In this week's update, the more commodity prices fall, the more I like them. US strength is amazing, but very narrowly focused. Semiconductors roar as AI euphoria takes hold. And what would debt default do to stocks? My name is Gary Davis. As always, this is General Advice Only. And please remember to like and subscribe to the video. It's uh, a market that is hard to feel really confident about at the moment because of this overhang of US debt default um, and the fact that the US market has been quite positive in the, the last uh, short period. So let's have a look at the, the positives and the negatives um, in this rather confusing, confusing market. So US earnings forecasts, not the earnings themselves, but the earnings forecasts, so the outlook for the next um, two to three quarters, have stopped declining. So analysts have, have stopped downgrading the earnings forecasts. The NVIDIA spike in price um, reveals that there's a much greater risk on sentiment has now entered the market than what we had before. Um, if you look at the individual share prices of um, a lot of the semiconductor stocks, they're just um, they're just simply amazing, uh, and on and on huge volumes as well. Now commodities are soft right now for a, a bunch of reasons that I've been talking about now for for some time, but the but that is short term. It's temporary. The long term outlook is just amazingly bullish across uh, most uh, commodities, and particularly those associated with um, with battery metals. Let's look now at the negatives, and, and there's, there's numerous other positives as well. I'm just trying to, to pick the ones that I think are the most relevant. The market breadth is something I've been talking about for a few weeks now, and, um, and it's still, still the case, as you'll see from the charts. This, this is a market being led by, um, by a, a relatively small number of, uh, of stocks, although I must admit in the last week that did definitely broaden, um, particularly in the uh, semiconductor and AI space. <clears throat> corporate margins are at a historic peak, the, the percentage of profits relative to revenue. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to fall, but it's going to be hard for them to go up any further and therefore uh, lead to expansion of, uh, of PE ratios. The US is in financial decline. You've only got to look, just step back and look at their debt, <clears throat> their, their, um, their runaway debt, and you can't reach any other conclusion, but the US is in financial decline. And there's also massive social divide in America as well. You're seeing it in, in politics and increasingly um, everyone seems, everyone who used to be in the middle seems to be moving to one side or the other and they're standing, they're standing there hurling insults at each other. Um, so there doesn't appear to be the, the capacity to reach compromise in America. And that's not a good thing. And then, of course, we've got the unknown consequences of, uh, of a recession, be it in America, in Australia, globally, um, because tightening credit conditions, which is what we've got, and in this case, some of those tightenings are, are due to market forces, not due to choice to, uh, to head off uh, inflation. So that is, that is never good for a buoyant stock market. So there's some of the positives and the negatives to you know, sit back and contemplate. The balance for me has to favour caution, you know, unless you're just 
a, a real um, renegade stock trader that doesn't care too much about the ups and downs. I think you have to be erring on the side of caution at the moment. So the conclusion that, that I come to is that the data and the logic always lags and there's certainly a lot of a lot of things happening in the market that defy the data and certainly defy the logic at the moment. And that's always the case and I've, I've talked about that um, forever. The fact that if you, you know, if you want to try and trade the news or if you want to trade what is logical, then you know, you're probably not going to come out too well on that side. Um, how you respond is a matter of your time frame for operation and also your game plan. You know, if you're a short term, shorter term thinking kind of person, not too resilient to a lot of market volatility, then you probably need to be holding high levels of cash and be very, very conservative at the moment. Um, there are a number of factors out there, but certainly this, the uh, the debt ceiling fiasco is um, is one that could could cause a great deal of volatility in the market. But if you've got a much longer time frame and you are targeted on um, on the mega trend areas of the market, and you're pretty resilient to volatility, then you know I think this is a time where there's there's just superb opportunities. So how you respond to that is very much an individual thing, and I would encourage everyone who listens to this video to think about their own circumstances and and not just take some prediction from some forecaster about what they think is going to happen because that might have no relevance to them whatsoever. If, and it's hard to see, and we've been to this edge of the cliff so many times, but if there is a debt default, even if it's only for a few weeks until everyone comes to their senses in Congress, then it does change everything. <clears throat> um, and if, you know, if you go back a decade or so, to similar circumstances where everyone tiptoed to the to the edge of the cliff, it did disrupt the stock market and the market the indexes did fall by, from memory, somewhere between fifteen and and twenty uh, percent. Um, so you know it doesn't have to go on for a protracted period of time to have an outsized impact on the market. But certainly at the mar the market at the moment is has developed a real risk on sentiment. And, um, you know, that that helps propel it against some of these other fears. Now, China, everyone knows, is so vital for uh, for Australia and, and certainly for our stock market. Um, and one of the things that is encouraging about China is that there is some early evidence of increasing money supply in uh, in China. And um, and that tends to be a very good forward indicator. Now, it there's a fair old lag there. It can be anything up to, to six months lag, but at least that process of, of easing, easing the credit conditions, increasing the money supply is, um, you know, is, is always good for uh, the market. There is more focus in some commodities, and copper is one example, but it's not the only one. There is more focus on mergers and acquisitions than on exploration. You know, the really, really big bucks that are required to uh, increase the size of production in you know, copper, nickel, cobalt, lithium, the, the whole range, um, is just not happening. It's still not happening, despite um, you know, all, the, all the predictions and, and all, of the, all of the rhetoric, the, 
the bigger companies seem to be taking the easy way out and looking to acquire additional production to meet demand rather than actually grow the total production. And so when you look at that, you have to conclude that that's got to be a positive for commodity prices um, and hence the profit margins of, um, of those that, uh, that are selling into that. All right, the American market had a good finish on Friday and that brought it back to slightly in the positive, 0.1% across the week. But as you'll see from the charts, it was all about the semiconductors with um, the, the uh, announcement from, um, or the quarterly report from NVIDIA. But look, NVIDIA and other semiconductor stocks have been moving up for months. This was not something that just suddenly came out of the woodwork. I've been talking about this and following the semiconductor chart for um, closely for the last um, seven or eight months, if you watch this video regularly. So the question in my mind is, is this new risk on sentiment justified? And if there wasn't the debt default scenario, um, I would say probably to a degree. But, and, and you know, un underweighting logic. So, so not placing as much important on logic is fine. And the logical conclusion here is that with this potential debt default, that, you know, we really should be in risk off sentiment. That's the logical conclusion. But logic, you know, doesn't doesn't work most of the time. But I think in this case, it's it's probably too far too fast when you look at the um, the price reactions in the semiconductor space. But anyway, the market is what it is. And, um, and we've just got to um, observe and, and respond to that. Now, the US uh, dollar index continues its um, its rebound up to 104 and a quarter. Uh, the 10-year yield also went up to 3.81, so it was down at 3.43 just a few weeks ago. Um, and yet, despite that, technology stocks have just done incredibly well, and that sort of defies logic as well. The VIX has edged up a little bit, just under 18, but look, that's over the last couple of years, that's still relatively low, and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. Um, and, you know, there's another one with when I get to gold. So there's a number of very illogical things that are happening. The 10-year, the 2-year spread has widened again, so it's even more negative now. Um, again, just reinforcing the probability of recession. Okay, let's jump in and have a look at some key charts. This is XLK the overall technology sector. And you can see, look, it was in strong uptrend anyway. You know, we, we got a breakout on the 31st of January and we've been forming higher highs and higher lows ever since. You know, just look at all your moving averages and then look at the last two days, um, Thursday and Friday to finish the week and increasing volume as well. So enormously uh, positive on XLK. But this is where the action really happened. This is semiconductors. Um, again, an enormous session um, on Thursday and, and even better on Friday. And, um, and the individual semiconductor stocks are looking incredibly robust. Now, if we look at, um, I've, I've put the XLK, the semiconductor index, and the S&P all on the one chart, and this is going back 12 months. Now that doesn't look too much like semiconductors are really 
uh, are really killing it. But let's let's zero in um, <clears throat> a little bit. So we'll go from the last year to the last quarter. You can see the the uh, semiconductor index has really started to catch up. But it's when you get down. Let's get down to the last month. You can see semiconductors are just absolutely killing everything. And, um, and then we'll just have a peek at the last fortnight as well. So the very recent outperformance by, uh, by that uh, index is, um, is quite amazing. Let's go and look at where some of the money flows are going. This is the NASDAQ versus the S&P. So I just want to show you from several different perspectives um, you know how it how it looks now a lot of these charts are saying the same thing but they're just being represented the data is being represented in a in a different manner so this is the Nasdaq versus the S&P very very clear and really really taken off um, in the last uh, four weeks this is semiconductors versus the S&P it's not much uh, not much argument about what's uh, where the the strength and the money flow is going. Um, and this is why I've been increasingly bullish all year since, you know, since this run started, um, you know, down down around here, we'd started to move up, started forming higher highs and higher lows. And I've, I've been cautiously bullish and increasingly bullish all year, largely because of this, because to my knowledge, there is not a bull market that happens without the semiconductors being one of the leaders. So that was why I've been um, uh, tending on the on the bullish side all year, despite a, an awful lot of negatives. But there is a button. I'll get to that chart in just a minute. This is the uh, chart of the various um, sector indices uh, over the last uh, quarter. So XLK really outperforming. Uh, Consumer discretionary, uh, sorry, um, communication services, XLC. So they've been clearly the leaders in uh, in recent times. You've really got to go back to, um, got to go back to April. Um, consumer discretionary, but that's largely Amazon contributing to that. Um, and then we've got um, Staples. Healthcare is surprisingly weak, and that's another illogical factor in this market you know the the defensive stocks are actually being sold it's not just that they're underperforming but they're being sold off they're going lower um, on an absolute basis as well as a relative basis and then we've got materials uh, energy and finance uh, bringing up the rear but this is uh, this is what still sort of keeps me somewhat on the cautious side and that's um, the small cap, small cap growth versus small cap value. Um, and there's really no particular bias there. Uh, and if we look at, um, if we go to IWM, so we actually look at the small caps, you can see they're not really doing much. So the breadth is, is still definitely an issue in, um, in the States. Let's just do a quick uh, check on the currencies. So this is the third week in a row now. We've had uh, real strength in the US dollar. But if if this debt default thing uh, gets any more significant, then this US dollar is not going to be hanging up here if there's any any threat of uh, the US not being able to um, to make bond payments. Then the US dollar is, is going to come down and come down pretty sharply. 
But clearly, from all the charts that you've seen, the market is betting that that's not going to happen. That yet again, this debt ceiling debate is going to end in a last minute compromise. And maybe it will, maybe it won't. But, you know, I'm not someone who who hopes for the best. I try to control the risk as much as I can. Now, if we look at the Australian dollar, so we had uh, quite a sharp move down for the last uh, last three days of the week and finished um, in the in the mid 64s on the uh, on the cross rate. Now turning to Australian stocks, um, 64.58s where our dollar finished. Our market was down, or our index was down 1.8 percent across the week. A lot of it was in the major miners, um, which to my eye are overreacting to the Chinese data. Um, you know, I, I think increasingly we, we're going to see improvement in uh, in China. Um, I, yes, iron ore was down and that contributed to it, but it wasn't down by the amount that that I think warranted the, the fall in our uh, in our major miners. And I'll show you the iron ore chart in just a minute. Now, China's got the advantage that inflation is quite low. And so they can do whatever they like. I mean, they do normally. <laughs> um, but because inflation is not an issue, then that's one less barrier that they've uh, they've got to worry about. So that's um, that's one of the positives. Uh, let's take a look at the iron ore chart. So you can see over the last, um, yeah, it did fall last week, but um, 110 slipped under 100 and then bounced a little bit, finished up at 102. When you look in the context of the last um, six to 12 months, not that big a move. So I think that was a bit of an overreaction, and I think we might start to see a, um, a bounce back next week in um, in the Australian market. <clears throat> All right, turning now to precious metals. Gold was down again, so this is the other head-scratcher, the other illogical thing. Wouldn't you think, with all the issues, the, you know, the possible US default, that gold would be above $2,000 an ounce and, and possibly a lot higher? And, and it's going the other way. Now, part of the reason it's going the other way is because the US dollar has risen. But that's not all of it. The, um, the gold price has been sold off by more than the US dollar has gone up. So that's another illogical part of the puzzle. In Australian dollars, though, um, because our currency has come off uh, sufficiently, we've managed to um, edge up a little bit more and um, holding just above 3,000 in Australian dollars. When you look at uh, stocks globally, um, wherever you want to look at gold miners, it was a pretty poor week all round. And um, yeah, certainly not, not too flashy in Australia as well. But you know what? This is when you want to get alert, when prices are falling, but the long-term outlook looks, looks good. And I'm not saying that necessarily with respect to gold but certainly with other commodities where their long-term outlook is very robust. This is when you need to get interested. You know, when, when people are selling, they're selling emotionally, they're selling irrationally. That's when you want to um, get ready to step up to the plate. All right, let's have a look at the gold market. All 
Right, this is the gold chart on a weekly basis. So it was um, it was only f four weeks ago that we spiked up to um, almost 2100, new all-time high. But since then, it's been pretty much all downhill. How much of that is good old manipulation that's been going on in the gold market for decades? Um, I don't know, but um, certainly it, it doesn't make a whole heap of sense to me. And that's um, gold on the daily chart. And if we look at silver, big rebound in silver on uh, on Friday, but it had also encountered a lot of uh, a lot of selling pressure. And if we look at um, GDXJ, uh, we've come down from this is the US uh, ETF. We've come down from nearly 44 and closed the week at uh, 30 low 36s. That's a fairly big uh, drop for a global ETF. All right, turning to other commodities now, um, copper is uh, is really under pressure, and and this is where this is where I'm getting really excited because stocks are getting hammered on this lower copper price. Which uh, okay, there's some reasons for the short term softness, but the long term outlook is is really good. Now, if we look at uh, if we look at copper and the the long term outlook and the and the likely direction of the price of copper um, chile supplies around 25% of the global supply and it's falling because of mine depletion so they've got some of the the biggest copper mines in the world and those copper mines are old and um, the grades are dropping and the production rates are dropping there's also a number of other headwinds which um, which I won't elaborate on, but there are multiple headwinds in Chile apart from the nationalisation issue um, that are are around operational issues. They can't do anything about, you know, the the grades um, and um, and other issues with the operations. And then if you add in Peru, which um, represents around ten percent of global supply and the civil unrest that there is in Peru, then you can see that there's a bit more than a third of the total copper supply is is under question at a time when su supply needs to be ramping up dramatically and it's going the other way. There are other hurdles for supply, um, you know, one of which is I spoke about earlier, and that's the fact that so many companies seem to be paying more attention to mergers and acquisitions than they are to grassroots exploration. So there's lots and lots of reasons why the copper price in the medium to long term is going to be significantly higher than it is now. And the prices of copper stocks um, is going to be much, much better than it currently is. There'll be a point where sentiment will flip over. It's just it's not right now. Uh, West Texas Intermediate Crude um, was at 72.9, so not a lot of movement there. Let's look at the important lithium market. It was a big week of very positive news in lithium. There's a five-year deal between Albemarle and, and Ford. Um, there are three-way deals being done involving um, uh, Ford and, and Tesla um, around the supply of superchargers. And that's, uh, I think, a, a big plus for the uptake of, of uh, electric vehicles and hence demand for lithium. We've got more analysts that are now significantly raising their lithium product prices in 2023. 
Um, so we certainly seem to have turned in the in the cycle in in terms of sentiment. Uh, and then we've got a Chinese battery maker who makes the following claims that they've now got a battery or soon will have a battery that will provide a thousand kilometer range, 15 minute charging times and a four million kilometer life cycle. Can you imagine what that is going to do to the uptake in electric vehicles and therefore the demand side for commodities? Now that you know may or may not be a something that's ready to hit the market now, but you know that is an absolute game changer and just makes the situation for supply and demand that much more attractive. And then of course we've got um, we've got more more nationalisation moves in uh, in Chile. So whether the current um, the current pre president, I think it is of Chile, um, can get actually get this through or not, the fact is he's, he's still heading even further down that, that pathway. So that's the situation with, um, with respect to lithium. There's a spot copper chart. We did get a bit of a rebound uh, late in the week, but it's been you know a fairly significant fall from above $4 down to around 360 This is certainly part of the reason in the short term, inventories are rising. And I think part of that is demand and imports into China. Um, but if you look at the longer term, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to see that being sustained. There's the uh, spot nickel chart. So it looks fairly similar to, um, to copper, a bit of a tick up at the end of the week. But interestingly, the inventory levels in nickel have not really budged. They're, they're at low levels, they're at historical low levels and, uh, and not turning up. So wrapping it all up, last week I said this is the best commodity environment that I've ever seen, speaking on a medium to long term view. And now with commodity prices falling uh, even further and stock prices in those commodities falling further, then I'm going to double down on that because this is when you really want to get interested. However, you've got to have a plan around this because the journey is going to be pretty bumpy. It's going to be quite volatile. So don't just start buying stocks because the outlook in 12 months time is going to be so much better um, because prices can, can and do fall further than would seem reasonable. The best time to buy commodity stocks is when people are scared. The outlook is, you know, the outlook is confused. The sentiment is negative. That's the best time to buy commodity stocks. And that's, that's either where we are now or where we're close to, depending on how you interpret it. Um, so definitely, in my mind, a, a time to be, to be getting your, um, your commodity plan in place. Portfolio analyst last week, um, we looked at the methods of analysing uh, mining stocks um, and also what the US-Australia um, deal means for us in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the IRA, the, the Inflation Reduction Act in the States. What does that mean for Australian mining? And obviously potentially amazing, but we've still got to do our part uh, as well. So that's it for this week. As the, um, my email address and more information on the website. And um, look, the, the crunch is really coming 
with the US and the debt ceiling debate this week. Um, unless I think some significant progress is made, then the market really has a right to be getting exceedingly jumpy. And um, it's a long weekend in America, so nothing will happen on Monday. Um, but this is, uh, this is getting very, very close to crunch week. So I'm sure by next Sunday, I'll be able to give you a perspective on that. That's it for this week. Cheers.